0: Welcome to Give Back, the podcast presented by Feed the Kids Foundation, where we explore the inspiring stories of businesses that are making a difference in their communities. I'm your host, Caleb Stokes, and today we're joined by Kyle Collinsworth and Kenny Hardy, who are running Defensive Love and their nonprofit Up and Doing. Kyle, Kenny, thanks for coming on. How are you today?
1: Good, man. Thanks for having us. Yep, we appreciate you being letting us come here.
0: Yeah. Um, So, Kyle and Kenny, I'd like you guys just to tell us who you are, kind of where you grew up. Um, how you guys met, um, and just really kind of where where we're where you're going with your foundation up and doing.
1: Okay, yeah. So, Kyle Collinsworth. I'm just, I've just been a professional basketball player for seven years. I grew up in Provo, Utah. Went to Provo High, and I played at BYU. And uh, Kenny and I, Kenny was actually coached me in high school. He's assistant coach, and that's where we became good friends, and he became a mentor. And then as we got older, we started doing you know, our defensive love, our up and doing nonprofit, and real estate together. So that's kind of how we met, and that's a little bit about me.
0: Awesome. Kenny?
1: Yeah, so um,
2: I grew up in Provo as well. Um, played at Provo High under Craig Drury. And that's, like Kyle said, that's where we met. Um, had the opportunity to get to know Kyle and his family really well and um, anyways started coaching there and did a few stints all over the place out in Vernal at Uintos the head coach out there and an assistant coach and uh, then came back and coached at at Salem and we were at Provo for a little bit so we've been all over um, doing some coaching I love coaching um, basketball but we've always had a connection from high school with the defense I guess and so We've always talked about it. I had Kyle come out and do some camps out at Uinta. And so he came out there and and then we it kind of started, the birthplace out there was in, mm-hmm. in Vernal out of Uinta where we just like, you know what? We both had a passion for defense and, and so we just started talking. Like we need to do more instruction because there's nothing out there that does it. And so that's kind of how we got started with that. And then the other things just kind of took off from from there. So.
0: Awesome. So Kenny, why, why coaching? What, what, what brought you into coaching and, and why, why basketball or were there other sports that you would want to take on or was it oh, just I, basketball? I,
2: no, I played multiple sports. I played baseball as well. And, you know, football growing up, not in high school, I didn't play football, but I played baseball and basketball in high school and, and, and loved both. Um, but I just had a different love for, Basketball. I don't know what it was. I, I think part of it was growing up in Provo boundaries. Um, Many people may not know, but Provo High was, you know, one of the most successful programs in Utah's history, and still is to the day, this day. And I remember my sister played um, basketball, and Provo High just had this special, I don't unique drawing thing to it i don't know how to describe it but it was just a special thing like it, you know they won state championships the, the names that went through there from Durants and the collinsworths and there's just some big big names that have come through pro High. i remember as a kid growing up just idolizing pro Bowl basketball like that's all i wanted to do was to be a part and play for pro high basketball and, uh, I'm sure you could probably say the same thing, Kyle, but anyways, that's, mm-hmm. I, 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 remember just, just wanting to be a part of it. And of course, Craig Drury, who's been there and won more state championships than any other coach, um, you know, who built that program, it was just something that he wanted to be. So that's kind of my draw. I loved it. I wanted to be a part of it. So I got in with, with coach Drury on, on coaching as an assistant, you know, doing nothing, just, you know, being there learning and then started small and, you know, as, as an assistant and a sophomore coach and just and work my way up, kind of having to do the grunt work of coaching. Sure. <laughs> you know, how there's, that a lot is. Of, there's a lot of and, thankless hours that go into that. Which is a whole that. different discussion. But, you know, it was good for me. And I think every coach should go through that journey of you can't just be a head coach. Yeah. You have to get in and, and do it. And I, I don't mean to get off track, but I still remember when you're asking about coaching, there was a time when I had just started with Coach Drury. And you think you know something. Like, I had been taught through his, you know, philosophies on defense, and I remember being, like, one day in practice, he looked at me, and I was a new coach, and he's like, Kenny, why don't you go teach the – I want you to teach everybody the defense of how to do a defensive slide. And it, like, hit me at that point because, like, you sit there and talk. You're like, oh, yeah, I know how to do a defensive slide. But I didn't know at that time how to put it into words and how to break it down and mm. teach – As if they didn't know. And I stumbled through and looked like a complete moron. (laughs) And I still remember like, uh, I do not know what I'm doing as a coach. Isn't isn't that hard?
0: I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things as a coach is just because you played basketball and you were a good basketball player and, and maybe you played the highest of levels doesn't necessarily mean you can come teach somebody else what you did. That made you great at your sport, exactly. And it's, part it's of that is being time. able to articulate it, right? Yeah. And break things down so that somebody else can understand in, in a manner that they can go, "Oh, that makes sense," and then turn around and do it. Um, I'm glad you said yeah. that because that is one of the hardest things about coaching, for sure.
2: And it's 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 people misunderstand. You know, they, they think it's easy. Like you said, it's it's not it's learning how to break it down but we always say it's not what you teach it's what you emphasize and how you emphasize it so but learning and you know because like you said some guys that played you know big time basketball they struggle with understanding why kids can't grasp a certain concept i'm not saying all like kyle obviously is that's why we're partners he's he is very good at teaching and that's why i think we work well together is you, you assume that they don't know what you're talking about
0: right so do you have an example of that of like what like when you're talking about emphasizing versus you know not necessarily what you teach but what you emphasize while you're teaching it
2: um i'm trying to think It's a good example of that
1: kyle um i just think the biggest thing is like what do you want them to be doing right what's the end goal here if we're teaching a defensive slide we really like to emphasis like pushing with the back leg, the push step, you know, like pushing with your back leg instead of just sliding, like telling them what to do and what's, what's the end goal here. We want to be able to explode and use our back leg. So just getting people to visually see it, but also knowing what's the end goal. And also he always says, it's like praising what you want. Like if someone does what you want, you got to emphasize it and be excited for them and just reinforce it, you know, and that kind of trains kids to want to do it again. So you got to have enthusiasm for, for that kind of stuff.
2: Well, and Caleb, I you coach softball, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, you can play anything in basketball. It's like there's a lot of coaches out there that teach, like, we're going to be a, a hard-nosed de- hard defensive team. You know, that that's what sure. we say. And so we, we teach that, but how do you emphasize that to, to do that? Meaning, like Kyle said, like, yeah, we might do defensive slides or we might teach, you know, backside rotation or – taking a charge, whatever it is, anything on defense that you're going to teach. But how do you emphasize those principles? Meaning, like if you want to be the best team in the state at taking charges, for example, it's not enough to just say, hey, guys, we need to get over there and take a charge. Right. Which some coaches do. They just they say that. But Mm -hmm. now in practice, if you are not. Working on that skill every day, and then emphasizing the importance by reinforcement, as Kyle said, with positive reinforcement. So every time a kid does it, you should be jumping for joy and celebrating, you know, or, or just like, hey, we're going to teach a our, our girls to, you know, quick hands to the ball, or whatever it is on defense, or soft hands, whatever it is on defense. But how are you emphasizing that and drilling that every day to have quick hands to the ball, or you know, yeah, whatever it is.
0: So if I'm understanding what you're saying. And if I'm if I'm not, please correct me. Is you're emphasizing the techniques, the the skill sets. You're teaching them the skill set, is not just saying, "Hey, let's go take charges." But we're talking about moving our feet, getting set up, reading when to take a charge, when not to. In in that situation, because I think there's more than just saying, yeah. "Hey, go do it." But we got to teach I you how and when and and
2: I think that's one thing Kyle and I do very well. And I'm not trying to say we're better than anybody else, but at defensive love is we don't just do superficial surface level ideas on things. Meaning like that, like we're going to teach you how to do a defensive slide. Well, most coaches would just get out there and go, okay, do a defensive slide or like swinging. Hey, get out there and get some swings in. Okay. Well, that's great. But my path to the ball is not very good or my feet are not good. So we like to get to the root of the reason. So exactly. like Mm -hmm. if, If we're not good at taking charges, why? Well, maybe it's because you're, you're late on your defensive rotations. You're not in a good spot to where you should be, or you know you're you know you're not physical enough. Whatever is, the reason is it's getting to the root and then emphasizing that principle, which will lead to making it easier to take a charge or to get the you know the fat part of the, of the bat on the ball. Whatever right. whatever it is, but I just don't think a lot of coaches get to the root of things. They just want the because it's easier and then we can do it and it's like a checklist, Caleb. Yeah, oh. It's following the checklist. I did in it. Practice, yep, right? We did it. We Move took rounders. We right? did swings. We <clears> you did that. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Kyle.
1: No, I think that's perfect. Like Breaking down what it is you want the kids to be doing. Let's just say there's four steps. Like a closeout basketball. First thing we teach is as you're running, your feet are narrow, and then you got to break your feet down and get wide, shoulder width apart. That's step one. And then it's being able to do the push step. You know, that's step two. So like you said, if it's taking a charge, it's breaking down what you want and then repping it in practice through drills. If you want to be the best charge taking team in the state, that should be 20% of your practice at least, just charges. So like people just say, we want to be like, everyone comes up to us like, oh man, we want to be good at defense. It's like, well, do you work on it half the time? They're like, no, well, that's half the game of basketball, right? So it's about putting in the time, we can't just say, like, we want to be good at, good at defense. Even that's not good enough. What do you want to be good at? Staying in front of people, taking charges, rotating, or whatever. And then you have to break it down into drills and then rep it out like crazy during practice.
0: You know, one of the things I, I love about when I see your guys' videos with defensive love online is you're showing them. You're not just telling them, right? You're, you're showing them, hey, this is how to do it. Right. Um, when when you do a closeout, I'm sure when you're teaching it, you're showing them how to do it, not just standing off to the sideline saying, "Hey, somebody tried to do a closeout." I know when I'm coaching the high school softball team, and we're working on turning two with my middle infield, and if their form isn't right, I grab my own glove and I go out there, and I'm showing the shortstop how I want footwork, how I want arm angles, and you know stuff like that, and staying in our legs, you know, thing, you know, because they need to be able to see it, not just hear it too, right? Um, which also goes back to what Kenny was saying about being able to break it down and actually teach it to someone that is such a skill in itself right Um, because that is so so hard so let me let me ask you guys this why defense okay yeah Cal, great basketball player right mr. triple-double BYU passing scoring rebounding right Um, Kenny I know you can dribble really well pass as well stuff like that you guys chose the ugliest part of basketball to focus on I mean listen the the cute the pretty is offense right Right. passing scoring stuff like that you guys have chosen to focus on defense why defense which is
2: interesting too (laughs) because everybody told us this wouldn't work Everybody told us that you can't you can't do defense because no one's going to, you know. It's put another. It's not going to sell tickets. Right. People aren't going to want to pay for that. And you know, it's like it's it's interesting because that's the resistance we got early on. Is mm-hmm. like no no one's going to do that. No one wants to to because it's not fun. But anyways, do you want to get into why yeah. why defense? One, serve. I I think Kyle. Which is interesting to me. He's he's known for his triple-doubles. and But he was probably one of the best defenders, in my opinion, to ever go through BYU. And I'm not saying he doesn't get credit for it, but one, he was an elite and is an elite defender. I mean, you were one of the top rebounders. Didn't Yoli just... Is it Yoli yeah. just passed it? Yeah. I was, but until then... When I
1: graduated, yeah, I was the number one rebounder. Yeah,
2: so he was the number one rebounder, which is not just a... Stat. I mean, that's a indication that you know where the ball is and you're a good defender, one. So, one, Kyle's been an unbelievable defender his whole career. Even in high school, he was that way. And his offense probably, I think he can say this, fed off his defense. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, in fact, and he can tell you that, you know, when he focused on the defense, the other stuff just flowed. But, one, Caleb, why is because – as a head coach, as a player, in you know the professional, college, high school, and my experience as a coach in high school, we saw I guess the need or the lack of kids' ability to know how to play defense the right way, and I think we took it for granted because I I you know Kyle played at the highest levels, but going back to our connection when when it was in high school, we um were taught by a defensive first coach meaning that was what he focused on and like kyle said our practices were 80 90 defense so i think sometimes we took it for granted so when we came out of there it's like we just thought everybody knew that And we started to see no one knows how to play defense no one knows how to talk no one knows how to rotate you know move your feet etc cetera, etc cetera, down the line and so we just saw when i got to be head coach at different places outside of provo high school and I'm sure you saw that even at BYU and uh, next and level. beyond. Yep. You saw the lack of no one knows how to do this. So that was really the need of like, this is a big, big um, hole that is not being filled by
1: anybody. Yeah, I always tell people this. Uh, the triple doubles got me recognized. The defense got me paid. <laughs> that's, that's well, there's I that paid. saying,
0: the defense wins championships. Yep. You know, you can apply that to defense leads to offense 90 mm-hmm. percent of the time right i mean if you yep. get in passing lanes you get tip balls you get steals you know you you're in the right position on defense to get the defensive rebound i mean that could lead to you know fast breaks i mean a lot of times if your whole team's playing really good defense that could lead to pretty easy offense right
1: yep absolutely i mean look at the nba and every nba team has one elite score Okay. And then they have a second guy who can score the ball. So we'll look at the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Their main scorer is Embiid. He mm-hmm. gets some 30-plus a game, and then they have James Harden, who can get sometimes up to that range. He's their second scorer. Outside of those two, do you think the Sixers need anybody to really come in and score?
0: Not necessarily, right?
1: Not from a one-on-one standpoint, right? What they need is people to space and knock down shots, but what they need is role players. Right. So I saw this stat the other day. I, my buddy sent it to me. Less than 5,000 people since the beginning of the NBA have played in the NBA. That includes 10-day contracts, everything. Less
0: than 5,000 5, people. people. And the NBA
1: is how old? So seven, I don't know. 75? They had that 75-year anniversary thing just recently so it's at least that yeah so think about that
0: 75 years at least 75 more only less than 5,000 people have played in the
1: NBA that includes 10-day contracts guys that just sat on the bench guys that have never touched the floor just sat on the bench guys have never yeah so think about that and on every team there's two scores so if you were really think about how important defense is to play at the next level take away those two guys everybody has to be great at defense that's what we're trying to get to like parents and players like defense is the way to get you to be able to play offense it's the way to get you noticed you know defense and rebounding like if you want to get noticed for your high school coach your college coach that's where it's found at there's always a spot on the floor if you can play defense there's not if you can score.
0: I 100% agree with that.
1: Now there may be someone that can score better than you. I experienced this. I thought I could score at BYU. I I'm, can't score at all compared to these dudes next level, like not even close. But I can guard. I can rebound. I can pass, right? But just defense is what people need. Every time you advance to another level, you'll know this. Like, hey, if you want to play varsity, got to play defense. Then it's like, hey, if you want to play college, you gotta play defense. If you wanna play a professional, you gotta play defense. We always get phone calls. Man, I'm hitting college now. Man, my defense is terrible. Can you help me? It's always at those like changing phases where we get the most calls. Like, hey, we're starting AU. We played the team down in California and- uh, And we got smoked. We got smoked. <laughs> we can't stay in front of anybody. Can you help us? It's like, that's what everyone's looking for. Can you play defense? And if you can't, see ya unless you're James Harden, but how many of those guys come around?
0: Uh, well, you talked about it. There's only like one to two on a team that Max. really just has to rely on – they need them to score, and then if they don't play defense, the rest of the yep. team picks and then, them And
1: then you have Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler is their best scorer, but he's mm-hmm. also – But that plays grade D. Exactly. So he doesn't have to be a James Harden-type scorer. Right. If you're going to be a no-defensive player like James Harden, you better average 35 a game. Absolutely. Which is what he did during his peak.
0: Yeah. Um, well, Kyle, let me, let me ask you this. So we were talking the other day and you said something to me that I thought was pretty interesting that you grew up not just playing basketball, but you came from a baseball family as well. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about family and pedigree with baseball. And then why did you choose basketball over baseball?
1: Yeah, so my grandpa was a big-time pitcher. He actually got drafted by the Reds. He never played. And then my dad signed with Oregon State out of high school. He could throw 96. And he ended up tearing his shoulder. They over-pitched him back in the day. Mm, Right, no pitch counts. Too many curveballs, all that. Yep, so overdid it. But baseball was like my sport as a kid. I could hum it as a pitcher
0: how hard how hard did you ever get Radar? how hard were you thrown in high school
1: i didn't i didn't get to the high school ranks but i remember being like close to 60 but i was like in sixth grade
0: sixth grade throwing six miles an hour
1: yeah um and i was i was just like a didn't develop i was a slow developer i didn't finish growing until i was like 21 years old
0: so knowing that grandpa dad could chuck it why did you not choose baseball and the guaranteed money if you would have chased it and all that other stuff with contracts that come with baseball?
1: I, baseball is very repetitive, like pitching in itself. is, And it was just, it was boring, very monotonous for me. I I like to be moving and flowing. So I just knew I, I'd be better suited just running around a, a basketball gym. And it's not like I was obviously very good at basketball at a young age. It wasn't like the gap was tremendous. Sure. So I just enjoyed basketball more. I enjoyed the up and down, the dopamine of it, the just the different things you do in a possession. Baseball, you're pitching. Basketball, you could be shooting, passing, rebounding, defense, all that. So it was just better suited for my personality.
0: And in baseball, you felt like you would, were just more of a pitcher and not
1: – other yeah. positions? No, I was just a pitcher. Wasn't no, hitting and... wasn't my thing. I I think I told you this. I was kind of scared of the, the ball. We had some coaches when I was little that would hit grounders at us like 100 miles an hour. I was like, <laughs> I, well, <laughs> I'm like, this sucks. Like I just took one to the chin. I'm like, well, this is stupid. <laughs> so yeah. I, I became a little intimidated of the ball. Not when I was pitching.
0: But just playing defense. Yeah, and it was and... just like. I didn't I love baseball.
1: That. I didn't love it. I wasn't like ready to kneel down and take a grounder to the face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't. Right. I wasn't excited.
0: You, for that. you, you weren't ready to. The ball took a bad hop and hit you. are nope. like ah, so what? Let's. I just swear, like
1: every other one took a bad hop too. I'm like, well, this. How am I supposed <laughs> to get this? It's, fields here, horrible.
0: Yeah. Oh man, if you're already afraid of the ball, that just oh, pushes yeah. you over the edge, right? No, if
1: you're afraid of the ball, baseball, it's. Uh, it's just like this thing for me. I'll go.
0: So. Sixth, seventh grade, you realize, you know what? I think I'm going to start focusing on basketball. Correct. When Two questions for you. When did you realize, hey, I love, love, love playing basketball. And when did you make the decision that you wanted to try to go play collegiately?
1: So I've always loved basketball, like at a young age. When I was in, I became a Mavericks fan. Which is pretty cool. In two thousand and one, that's the team I played for in the NBA. Um, who they played the Miami Heat in two thousand and six. I can't remember how old I was, but it's probably like sixth grade. Fifth, okay. sixth grade. I just remember they were up two oh against the Miami Heat. In the finals. Yeah, finals, and they lost four straight. I just remember like tears coming down my face. It just like oh, I was so devastated that they lost. But every year for my birthday, starting like fifth grade, I get NBA League pass. My birthday's early October, October 3rd, so that's what I wanted for my birthday, NBA League Pass. I'd come home from school, I'd play, I'd eat, and five, five o'clock Eastern time for us, seven o'clock, so five o'clock is when the first game started, and I'd always go and go watch NBA, I'd watch it all the time, so I always tell kids, like, I played in the NBA because I loved it, and because I was good at it, but the key ingredients i loved it i was willing to put in the time and watching i learned so much from watching like how to play you know just all these moves the right defensive footwork and at a young age whether i realized it too so i always watched it and i just loved to be everything was basketball for me i loved it
0: so you ate drank slept yes basketball well, nba league pass i mean that's awesome that, that that's what you wanted for your birthday every year was hey, I want this so that I can just mm-hmm. come home, watch every game, not be restricted. Um, that's really cool. So you get into high school and you're playing, okay? Um, at what point did one, you realize, man, I think I'm gonna be good enough to go, not just to quit college at a junior college, or community college, or something like that, but good enough to play at a D1 program. Like, when did that realization set in for you?
1: Well, I thought it probably like in sixth grade. <laughs> I was pretty confident with myself as a kid. still am. But when I probably realized it, was my sophomore season. I didn't play at all as a freshman. I was only 5'9". And then that summer, I grew to 6'3". And I just got bouncy. I went from not dunking to just, like, throwing the ball down. I was 6'3". I went... Starting lineup right away, our leading score went from not playing to our leading score, best player in the team, and I was like, yeah, I'm definitely playing college. And then from there, after during that season, the offers came in. I had an older brother who played D1, so they saw him, so that helped me earlier to get more eyes on me. So sophomore year, I had tons of offers from Washington State. Tony Bennett was there. He's at Virginia mm-hmm. now. They offered me when I was like 14, 15. Really? Yeah.
0: So who, who all did you get offers from? So Washington State, BYU, obviously.
1: Every Pac-12 team. Uh, Kansas was offering if I did not serve a mission. And I told them I was, so they declined that. I, I could have gone basically anywhere I wanted to. Wow. If I wasn't going to serve a mission.
0: So you served a mission. Um. How many of those schools still said, hey, we'll take you even if you serve a mission?
1: Virginia. Virginia. All all the Pac-12 did, and, and Virginia was the biggest school that said, we'll take you still with Tony Bennett.
0: So that's, I mean, you got 14, 12 to 14 offers sitting there. Yep. What's the process? Looking back, what was the process on choosing what school you went to? Like, was that a difficult choice? And. And how much did your parents help you influence that? Or were you just like, hey, from a young age, I want to play at BYU? And- No, I'm I didn't, go I BYU. didn't.
1: I wasn't a, I want to play at BYU kid at all. We didn't grow up really watching BYU basketball. My brother was there, that helped a little bit. My best friend in high school, Brandon Davies, mm-hmm. who I was teammates with, right? he was there. So that those were two big factors. I would played with both of them as a freshman. So we all actually played together for a little bit during my freshman season. But that was a big factor. But the biggest thing I always tell people is priorities have to be number one. My priority was always God. God's the biggest thing. My faith, being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, was my number one thing. So that was stood at number one. Number two, I always tell people, is you have to go where you're valued. People don't understand that. Like If you go where you were kind of like, oh, we'll take you because so-and-so didn't commit here type place. In the long run, it will bury you because coaches won't fight for you. Right. As soon as things get tough and I have a couple of bad games, they'll be like, "Well, he wasn't my recruit. Yep, shouldn't have brought him in. And you, you'll see it. You'll get coaching staff, the mm-hmm. ego divided. Like half will want this person, other half don't. As soon as it goes bad for him, the other half's like, well, shouldn't have brought him. So you have to go where you're valued, where people are like begging you. I've I think
0: seen, I think that's a great point. I think a that's huge, a great point for colleg- kids that are wanting to go play at the collegiate level, right? Because I think I think kids need to find out why. Why are you recruiting me? Yep. Like because you had somebody say no, so I'm the next. I'm the check. You check in the box going down exactly. the list. Or do you really want me to come play here? Exactly. What do you see in me that's going to come help this program? And and my and what's my value to you, right? Because yep. if you're just seeing me to just so you get fill scholarships and just set me on the bench, then it's probably not the right place to go. No,
1: absolutely not. You won't develop. Here's the thing: every your rookie year or your first year, or your freshman year in college is it's a huge adjustment. You will have bad games. You will have bad stretches. And if you don't have a staff that believes in you and values you, you'll disappear. I've seen it a hundred times. K comes in has some good games gets a look and he has a bad stint and because he's not a top priority for the coaches not valued he never plays again and mm. he just fizzles out and ends or the up transferring. only way he gets
0: back on is if there's an injury and, injury yeah
1: and then but like for me i had such a like what's a long leash as a freshman because like i'm a huge recruit coming in i'm valued like they wanted me so when i'm not playing well the people are still like no he's good Still played my minutes. They let me, you know, get my little rust off or you know bad little stretches and let me keep playing. But people have chosen the flashier and cooler college over the team that really loved them, and I've seen it. It never works out for you when you do that.
0: I, I would. I mean, I haven't haven't played college, but I think I can understand what you're saying. There is, it, it, it's just like work. Yeah, I was just gonna you say you need that. to be valued at no work. Different. If you yeah. don't feel like you're valued where you work. Then you probably need to go find somewhere else to work for a company that values what you bring, your skill set, your intangibles.
2: Um, well, Caleb, with uh, with that too. Look at, do you, did you see the Steph Curry documentary? Have you seen that?
0: I haven't watched that yet. Well,
2: no. it it, it's, it goes to his point: is he wasn't recruited big time. He went where he was valued at Davidson, which is you know a smaller D one school, but they believed so much in him. But I, it was funny because Cal was saying that his first game, I think he had. I can't remember. It was like double digit turnovers and he had 13 or 14 turnovers. I could be yeah. wrong on the facts. So if anybody's checking that, but it was like a big, big number of turnovers for and one
0: player. Yes. And that's normally like kid. a team. Like He just couldn't, one, he couldn't make person. a
2: basket. He was turning the ball over and there was a coach obviously looking now it's like, Oh, he was a genius. Oh, he believed in him. He knew what he had and saw. And he's like, Hey, I mean, everybody else like, how are you playing this kid? Oh, you're just playing him because he's Dale Curry's son, you know, being right. favorite. And he's like, no, we know what this kid can be, and they stuck with him. And all the you know, everybody's like, you got to bench him, you got to bench him, and he went back to you know, the next games like, nope, you're starting again, and and you know, history from there. But it was it was a good example of what Kyle's talking about.
0: So benching him would have been the easy way out real coaching is being able to look at a, a player and say, I see what you're trying to do. Let's improve the skills. And and some of those, I mean, if you were to go back and look at tape, some of those passes may not have been his fault. They could have been his teammates not knowing the ball was coming. Sure. It could have been, right? But he's credited for the turnover when mentally he's two steps ahead of maybe some of his other teammates going – Dude, I know you're going to be open. I can see what's happening here, developing faster than what you are noticing. And he makes the pass, but the teammate doesn't turn and look till they're late. But developing, like teaching and seeing that and not squashing it and not burying and saying, sorry, you stop making those passes. It's yep. teaching the correct way to and do it. And here's
1: the gem for young kids. You get to develop where you're valued at.
0: Mm, I like that.
1: Meaning like Steph Curry was valued at Davidson so when he had those 10 plus turnovers it wasn't like okay you're done it was like let's go develop let's watch film because we are get valued lab, here, right but let's if you're not your valued head. i'm telling you right now throw you it's you like i said half the coach staff is like yeah good job johnny getting him that was a terrible choice 10 plus turnovers we told you and then it becomes i've seen it the half the coaching staff it's a divide like oh i told you we shouldn't have got him
0: that that leads into the next part because if you're if you're in that situation and and kyle maybe you maybe you saw this a little bit maybe you felt this a little bit at byu um you tear your aco sophomore or junior year sophomore end of the sophomore it's, year right no. towards the end right yep. right before
1: w it was in the wcc championship game against mm. gonzaga right or it might have been the semi. No, it was championship game. It so, so
0: it's a conference tournament, right? Mm-hmm. You go down the torn ACL. Talk to us about the mental approach there because that probably was well. devastating to you, to the program. And there's probably a lot of schools who, when somebody gets hurt, it's, I mean, are you going to be able to play the next year? Yeah, yeah. How good are you going to be? Are you going to be what you were before? Mm-hmm. And all those things start running through a program's head, and now maybe that divide in the locker and the coaching staff is like, well, do we need to move yeah. on?
1: Yeah, you know? oh, it's a tough. Um,
0: so where were you mentally with that, and how hard was that for you to, to work through it?
1: It was tough, man. I was I was hooping too.
0: Yeah, you were.
1: I, in the turn- Anytime we go down to Vegas, you can write it down, I'm playing good like it's like clockwork if it's a tournament i'm playing good so i i think i had like 23 and 15 or 16 rebounds against lmu had 18 11 against san francisco hits two free throws to ice the game and then i already had like 13 rebounds going into the gonzaga game into the third quarter or second half early in the second half before i got hurt like i was hooping like i was like okay here we go and then
0: do you remember exactly what happened like vividly yeah i
1: was going in for a rebound i was just coming in from the outside i took a step and my knee went right and it went left and it just
0: just as you planted you just just,
1: i just run in yep no contact no nothing
0: what was your immediate thought when that when you felt it go
1: i didn't know what it was but i'm like this is not good it was really painful i was like this is not good
0: Probably Did it feel like it was on fire in the yeah, middle of your knee? Like I somebody was like literally yes. taking a flame to the middle of your knee? Yep,
1: I was just like, this is killing me. I just had no idea. And they did tests back in the locker room, and they're like, yeah, it's probably ACL. They're like, you know, they did the test. They're like, we're 95% sure it's ACL. So you're
0: laying there on the medical table, and they're doing the test, and they say, yeah, you, we're pretty dang sure that you've blown out your ACL. Yep. What did you think immediately in that spot?
1: I was just like, well what's the score of the game like we were starting to come back and I was just like trying to figure out you know we wanted to win that thing so bad
0: were you trying to figure out if you could still go in the yeah play?
1: yeah well actually Kenny knows this. not many two not many people know this at Saint Mary's probably a month earlier, I went up for a rebound extended my arm and got it and I got landed on and folded back onto my knee mm. and I heard like a pop. I was like, "What the crap!" I was able to keep playing. I came back. We ended up beating St. Mary's at St. Mary's, which is a rare, rare thing to do. It's very hard. But I came back and played. I think that was the initial start of my knee injury. But it was tough after the game. You know, we get selected to play Oregon in the tournament. You know, in this, you know, in the big dance, we were, and I have to, you know, watch on TV, watch them go go play and it was just like man you work so hard to be able to play in those things those things are if you're not a huge huge school, those things aren't given to you So I mean
0: that's gotta be that had to been your dream right here you are playing collegiate ball mm-hmm. and you're playing at a really high efficient level and all of a sudden you're like man, we're gonna get, get to go play in the NCAA tournament and dang if you don't get hurt you probably have a really good shot at playing well in the tournament and, and chasing some of those dreams that you've probably yep. had on the wall for a long time as a kid and did you feel like your dreams were crushed a little bit?
1: Luckily for me, I had just served a mission in Russia and I learned how to speak Russian fluently. So I was like, listen, if I can do that, <laughs> it took me six months to do that. I said, the doctor told me at the very beginning, the first person to see my knee, like, this will be nine and a half months. And I said, absolutely not. I said, I'll see you in six months. And they're like, no, I'm like, yes, I will be back for the first game of the season. So I was back in five and a half months practicing, 100%. Played in the first game. I was back in six months. So I took that approach of learning Russian, six months. And I just said, I can do this for six months. But I learned something special that, you know, adversity can create an advantage with the right mindset. Like through this process, I learned how to eat healthy. You know, I'm big into nutrition. A lot of people know that. Mm-hmm. Like, that started because my knee injury. Like, adversity makes you think different. And this, I learned this was God saying, Kyle, you want to play in the NBA? Well, you have to change some things. So I'm going to help you do it. If you want to get there, we're going to have to do things differently. And it just taught me to, to not work how everybody else is working. Like, it, for me to make it the NBA, serving a two-year mission. Basketball is the highest-skilled sport in the world. It's not football. You can't take two years off. Like, football players can just lift on their mission, come back and go tackle people. Like, basketball, you got shooting, you dribbling, you got so much, you know, technical things that missing two years. I Extremely mean, difficult. You can count on one hand how many people that have served a two-year mission and played in the NBA.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's, like you said, on uh, one hand.
1: Yeah, maybe two. You might get seven or eight, but – so it was just tough, but it taught me a lot, it taught me to think different and train different and just, it made me more of a, a dog and I came back and I was right out of the gates running. And that's when, during that process, the ACL rehab, I started working with the sports psychologist, Craig Manning. He worked for the Bucks, he's a big time, He's he's the Greek Freaks, sports psychologist. But he taught me to really see who I am as a basketball player, that's where. I realized rebounding is what makes me me. And we started focusing on how I rebound and putting our emphasis on rebounding and defense. And that's what led to the triple doubles is Mm -hmm. I started to mentally understand who I was and without playing basketball for six months, I came back way better. So people think about this, in a four year period of time, I played, no, three years three year period of time I played basketball for six months Hmm. like I mean two and a half so I came two years didn't play I played that season and then got hurt and I couldn't play for six for six months so literally like out of three years I didn't play for two and a half years like in the prime of my
0: in the prime of your basketball physical yeah Peekness. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So like, I, had to, I had to go through a lot just to get to where I was, but it's helped me so much to this day. That's why I always tell people like, especially sports, let adversity teach you what it wants to teach you. There's something you're missing mm. because when we have a desire to do something, the universe, God knows it and it's trying to help us match up with our desires and make it happen. So sometimes we just got to step back and say you know God what are you trying to teach me and that he was trying to teach me stuff and I was blessed to be able to follow through with so
0: speaking of adversity and challenges in life um, where did up and doing come from so I know you got the defensive love and you guys work kids out basketball wise and so how does Kenny how does up and doing play into
2: to this I think it. Uh, it uh, we've been thinking about ways that we can serve, connect, do something different besides basketball, and I think that originated from the fact that we like to think—not like to think—we do teach kids. In addition to defensive philosophies or techniques, um, we try and teach and instill kids. Uh, some good lessons in life specifically that you're no better than anybody else because you play basketball or whatever. You know, we work with basketball, but the message applies to everybody. We believe um, that you're no better than anybody else because you can either hit a 95 or throw a 95 mile in our fastball or dunk a basketball or shoot well. That doesn't make you any better than anybody else in the school that – does something different than that Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes in sports we can get a little off balance with that of we we build up athletes sometimes i'm not saying that it's wrong because they also you know they're very skilled and it's a you know appreciating that and i'm not saying that that that's not a good thing but what i am saying is we don't believe at defensive love that that makes you better than anybody else that doesn't make you better than someone that is in the drama club or the chess club or the math club or someone that plays the tuba or the flute, you know, why does that make, but sometimes in sports, you know, that as a coach, we elevate mm-hmm. the athletes to like, and it gives them this mentality of we're better.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: You. And that's kind of a different discussion. If you, Cause our
0: society glorifies athletes. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and, and we're not trying we pay to pay money to go. Millions of people pay money to watch. NBA League Pass, Yes, you know, where there isn't a Symphony League Pass where you get to watch a bunch of symphonies around the country perform, right? Um, Our society has glorified um, sports and and entertainment and what we define define as worthy of paying lots of money for, right? Yeah,
2: and we're not trying to say that that's wrong or people are... immoral or wrong because they want to go pay to see that sport or you know football or basketball we're not saying that's wrong what we're saying is we're trying to get the message to the athletes that you can be good at something but still be kind and loving if you take the mindset of i'm not any better maybe i'm better at this skill but it doesn't mean i'm better as a person or that you need to pay more attention to me because more people come to my game than your band concert Right. And so that's just our belief. And so I think I say that as a, you know, preface to getting to up and doing is we teach the kids that. And so we've tried to come up with, you know, something specific to help the kids look beyond themselves of stop trying to be cool. Mm. You know, we, we always say that to, to athletes is coolness is the enemy to kindness. We like to, you know, tell kids that all the time. Because it really is. When you're trying to be cool, you're not looking of how you can help, serve, and be kind to someone. So we, you know, we've been doing that, and we had the idea to come up with a specific act, not just telling kids to go be kind, but a specific act of having kids and bring food items to donate to their local shelter. So whether we're up in Canada or Idaho, we always talk to the kids and and you know have them bring some items, and they take it as part of their team to go donate it to their local food pantry or homeless shelter. And so it was just a specific act of something that we could do to help give to kids. That's easy, but yet it's not, they had to kind of put themselves of, put aside cool to pick up a can and bring it. You you can't be the cool kid to do that in that moment. And so, but it's beyond that, you know, of, of just the food, we do other things with up and doing, like we're going to do a camp um this december for some refugee kids for free and so we just in essence it's just trying to look outside yourself um, so up and doing's
0: focus if in if i'm saying this correctly and kyle jump in here is you're trying to help your athletes that you work with realize that there's more to life than just sports that being kind and loving to other people and not thinking you're you're better than anyone because you are an athlete is that Absolutely. kind of just? Yeah, it? I
1: mean, we see it when you put sports above being kind and everything else. Your world will eventually crumble because your foundation's so weak. So, like, think about this: we were at the Salem Hills football game. We like this. Like, before you come to the game, you bring the food. Before you do a workout with us at Defensive Love, you bring the food. So it's saying like the food is more important than comes before the sport. So we're helping athletes realize like kindness and doing good things comes before the sports. Sports comes and goes, man. That's coming from oh, someone who's played absolutely. at the highest level. Like it's a blink of an eye. If your whole life was that, like, life's over. It's why famous people struggle when they're not famous anymore. Cause oh. that was their life and now it's like now what? Well, it's I their identity, yes. right? We lived at the highest of all highs on this earth. Like, I can't match that. And they struggle, and they some never recover. Getting the bad things. I
0: totally, totally get what you're talking about with the coolness over kindness. Man, when I was in high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball. Um, I broke my femur playing football as a freshman in in high school, and nothing worse than laying in the hospital, and your coach comes, the head coach of the football program comes in and goes. Oh man, Caleb! If you wouldn't have broke your leg, you would have been starting varsity the next week as a corner for us, and yeah. you know. And then you are like son of a right. And I had some challenges with that, and had to have some different leg surgeries and stuff. And um, but sports also helped me work through those things because that would I, I love sports. Um, and but when I was in high school, man, I wore my Laramis jacket all the time. Mm-hmm. I thought I was king of the mountain at the school. And my, probably my sophomore and junior year, I was a complete a-hole. Mm-hmm. I, I was the freaking kid that, I was the punk, you mm-hmm. know, jock sports kid that played all three sports and everyone knew who I was and I didn't treat people very nice. And then, this started my senior year, I realized, man, I'm a jerk. And I didn't want to, I just I didn't want to live like that anymore. And so, it became my mission to treat everyone with kindness Mm -hmm. and try to get my other athletes that were with me to quit being pricks to people and just because we played sports didn't mean jack and um that 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 uh it made my last year of school meaningful i made some good connections with kids that year in school and and way that that were beyond the surface level and and it was, it was way more enjoyable. So I, I totally understand. I was that punk kid in high school that didn't realize that yeah. I wasn't any better than everybody else. It, it can else. be
1: an easy trap to fall into as athletes because sometimes you, there's a culture built in that, hey, we're better than everybody, and you can easily fall in for it. So
0: and then, and then coaching, too. I mean, we didn't have coaches that talked about the things we're talking about right now, about putting well, – putting kindness before cool. I mean, we, we didn't talk about that with our coaches. I mean, in the, in the nineties, it was, Hey, let's just go win, go win, go win, go win. And even with my softball program, we talk about being good people in the community, being good students, being upstanding citizens. That means being kind and loving to people. And that's part of our program at Salem Hills high school. And the the softball program is if, if you come in and you're a jerk to people, one, I'm going to have a conversation with, two, with you. And two, if you don't change, you're probably not going to be in our program very long um, because we want good, outstanding people that hard, work hard, treat each, other, treat each other with kindness. So um, totally love what, love the message you guys are putting out on this.
2: And that's amazing. It's, it's good, Caleb, that there's a lot of good coaches that are doing those things like you're doing. And there's some that are not. Mm-hmm. There's some that are not emphasizing those things or just saying it but not holding kids accountable to that. But we see it all the time. And I feel like we're justified in saying this. We work with a lot of kids and there is a problem and and we live in Utah. So, but it's not just here, but it's all over. There is a problem of kids and their identity being attached to sports.
0: And that's it. Yes. There is no, no, they aren't, they can't define themselves as anything else. So so
2: then you see injuries and it's so devastating because they just like lose their identity almost. It's, It's It's scary because we're not trying to say, like you said, that that good lessons do not come from sports. We're not trying to demean that. But we also are saying that you have to be in the right mindset to get the lessons from sports that you need to. Because sports can be a negative thing if we do not draw out the appropriate lessons of accountability, teamwork, selflessness, all those things that you you, you learned and we learned. But It can also be teaching those other lessons when you don't have a coach. But it goes back to what we were saying um, earlier about the the emphasizing. So we had a coach that we work with in Idaho kind of asked the same thing. He's like, I have these values for my program. You know, I don't remember what they are, but just good values, like teamwork or selflessness or toughness. But he's like, how do I help the kids besides just being on the level of saying it? And that's kind of what goes back to the up and doing is we want it to be something specific. So it's not just us saying, go be good, go be nice. Yeah, you can say that, but now it's like, well, now how are you going to separate and hold the kids accountable to those values, which we're missing in sports today? The accountability is almost gone.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
2: like we say all the right things in the communities. We say those, but now it's like, we're going to hold you accountable to being kind. Or we're going to provide opportunities for our team to go show kindness. And mm-hmm. then when they don't, there's accountability to that. Yeah. Whether, you know, I'm not saying they're off the team. I'm just saying, but right. there's some level of accountability, meaning maybe you're sitting a game because you bullied a kid in biology class. Yeah. Well, but, but they I've don't learn to, that if they don't have a coach holding them accountable. In,
0: in my coaching years at Salem so far, I mean... We have I've had to sit people for things they put on social media that are against our code of ethics at the at the school and, and the softball program because somebody gets a picture and they send it to me and then I meet with them and I suspend them for a game right they got to sit in the dugout they can't dress they can't they got to sit in their street clothes and they got to sit and, and watch their team play. Um,
2: I think you're more rare than normal though as a coach. <laughs> and, that's, know, and you know, it's, it's been, to you, and but it's not been all some of my best players.
0: Way. Some of my best players have put themselves in positions where, I'm sorry, you're. it's team before I, and this is detrimental to the team. Even though you're one of our best players, you're going to have to sit out a game. Um, so it, it's it's definitely something that I think it starts internally with our team because even as teammates, you can get players that are just pricks to
1: their teammates. Absolutely. That's the worst. I, I can't stand that. If you can't be good to your teammate, how in the world are you gonna be good to anybody else? Well
2: you have to t- tell them the story about your teammate without using the names in Japan that literally lost out on contracts because how he treated people.
1: Oh yeah, just it's so funny being a, a pro, people think it just comes down to like skill. You're good enough or not. Like there's literally I played with teammates in Japan that lose out on contracts because they're not good teammates. I played in Japan for three years because I was such a good teammate. People don't realize that. Like, if you're a good person to your team and people around you have people cheering for you, the jerk is by himself.
0: Well, makes you, life so much harder. You spoke at Salem, um, and we did like an, a little evening yeah. um, where you came and spoke to the athletes and the parents and stuff, and and you talked about. How you were able to really land a contract with the Dallas Mavericks was because of that. Absolutely. Um, which I thought was pretty incredible that your these high-profile teammates went and fought for you mm-hmm. to be on the team. Because part of being successful as a team is having good chemistry. Absolutely. You cannot have good chemistry nope. if you have one or two people who think they're so much better than everybody else and they treat everyone else like... Second-class citizens. Absolutely. And you have to have, you know, you know, people. Sports analysis. Sports analysts will be like, oh, I don't understand why this team is playing out of yeah. their above their potential. It's yeah. because they really are a family.
1: Yep, they enjoy being around each other.
0: And they care about each other, and they want each person to succeed, whether they're the starter or they're role player on the bench, and they don't get bought up into the hype, their hype crowd saying, oh, you should be playing over so-and-so or you should be playing more minutes or you should score more because you're better than that. Person. Yep. They just accept what their role is and they support. And when their number called, they go out and give it everything they can.
1: Exactly. I mean, at the NBA level, like everybody can hoop. It's not like you're going to work your kindness into a, a role if you can't play basketball. Right. But like you can hoop, but it's like Dirk and these guys, J.J. are like, who would I rather hoop with for 82 games? Who would I rather go to dinner with on the road or joke around with in practice? And they think about stuff like that. And if there's like a young rookie or a young guy, a fringe player, that's a jerk. Skill sets are similar. Similar. Yeah, right? maybe I mean, he's better this. Maybe it's pretty close. I
0: mean, it's right there and it's got to come down to who it is. Well, I know who I would choose. Yeah, I would want to choose somebody I can get Absolutely. along with Absolutely. if your skill set is the same level. Right? Mm-hmm and say we want this person and you know last year we took third estate in the softball program and it is it was the most cohesive team i've had as a head coach and because we did we treated it was like a family and we've been preaching that and preaching that and they finally realized it and realized how far they could go if they trusted each other 100 percent and cheered for each other and cried for each other and you know all those things um, so a couple more questions for you and then I know we'll wrap up but Kyle and Kenny how how can we get the community more involved in what you guys are doing
2: with Up and Doing I think first of all it's just getting the awareness out there You know we're a fairly new we've just started specifically doing this this summer with our camps and teams and so I think one is just getting the idea and the you know the name recognition out there so we understand what people understand what we're trying to do and accomplish Um, so we're in the infancy of our you know I mean, it's brand the, new. It's yeah, only you guys the, established the this, what, three or four months exactly. ago? Somewhere, somewhere yeah, just range? a month or so ago is, is when we've started, you know, officially doing this. I, well, I guess maybe three months. Anyways, yeah, it, we're, we're new. And so we're trying to get the word out and, and get, to, you know, different schools to help spread this message of, you know, sports are not just about you. You know, try not to be cool and then do the specific act of, of helping those in need. As you know, around us, so, um, which is far getting... greater
0: than what we really understand.
2: Exactly, exactly, and it's trying to balance the, the message in the sports world of everything's about you and coolness and to looking outside yourself and doing something that is blessing someone else. But yeah, I think it's just trying to get the word out, um, and as we you know grow and expand to do other sporting events with other high schools and teams, we're just trying to start small Kyle and I are are not big and you know too big to do little at a time it's it's we don't expect it to be the you know the grand and biggest thing right now we're willing and know that it's going to be a little time but every little bit matters and makes a difference and so we're just trying to start small and and grow it and get some recognition and just do some things through sport that are different than the lessons within the sport, if that makes yeah, sense. Absolutely. So we're trying to use the vow, the avenue of sport to help do some good.
0: So Kenny, what what in wrapping up here, what is your message to anyone that listens to this today? Um there's one thing that they could take away from everything we've talked about today. What would you want the listeners to take away from you?
2: I'd want the listeners to understand that as, as awesome and as fun and as exciting as sports can be, it's not what matters most. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but it's not what matters most at the end of the day. There can be, I used to be one of those coaches that said that, you know, or parents who grew up like, Oh, I want my kids playing sports because they're going to get all these good lessons and I'm not so certain anymore about that. I think they can get good lessons, but it's not a guaranteed. It's not a guarantee to how my response as a parent is. If I jump interfere between if my kid's playing for you and every time he comes home and he says, Caleb got on me today. And I say, well, that's horrible. Why would he do that? I give my kid a chip on his shoulder, for example. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is sports can be good and there can be some lessons that we get out of it but my message from my opinion is let's put sports in their proper perspective because i personally feel like they've gotten a little swung out of balance in this valley where it's it's getting a little too out of control where sports is dominating every aspect of our lives it can be good but let's remember our priorities first and remember to put god and family and other things should come before sport. And then as we do that, maybe we'll have the proper perspective as we do sport. And that's what we're trying to just maybe swing that balance through up and doing of just bring it back where we're not saying sports is bad, but let's make it better than it is. I mean, I,
0: let's take a teach quick those story. Yeah. Lessons, I mean, right? I
2: was in a AU game this summer with my son that's in high school. I'm not going to say the team but my son's team got beat pretty good and you know they played a a better team it was a team up in the in the valley and but the kids that walked through their line like literally said to me and the other coach the coaches not necessarily players like how does it feel to get beat by 30 and he swore like how does your a blank blank feel to get beat by 30 points and and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And his dad, who was the coach, we we kind of called him, and said, Whoa, buddy, like, what are you doing? His dad got mad at us. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm sorry, that was completely inappropriate. He got caught up. It was defending him, and now this kid feels more entitled. You get know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's a dumb little story, but it kind of is a reinforcement. It, a it does happen a lot. And it's it's getting more and more. It's getting worse and worse, in my opinion. Of whoa, what are we teaching these kids through the lessons of sport? I'm at the point now, where I don't know if there's that many great lessons coming from sport. Yeah, that's why I'm not there. Can be Caleb, but I don't believe they are, as because parents are getting in the way of some of that. It, so, anyways, take, that's why I it
0: takes the coaches and the table talk at home. It takes parents. Right? Yeah, the the parents saying, look, I, I I've gotten my middle child, she's big in the sports. She works with you guys. We have this conversation with her all the time because yeah, I'm going to be her softball coach, but basketball, you got to roll with whatever the coach's decisions are. The only things that she can control is her attitude and her effort. Yeah, right? And then everyone else's decision making, she just has to accept and roll with it and and doesn't mean that she stops working hard. If you want to earn playing time, earn it. It's not given to you. Sure. And we have these conversations with her and we support the coaches. And and I tell the coaches all the time at the high school, hey, we support what you're doing. I'm not going to be that helicopter dad that comes in as like, why aren't you playing my kid? Just because I work with you at the school. In fact, I'm trying to stay away from that as much as I can. Because I don't want it to look like an yeah. influence here sort of playing, her playing and,
2: those, and those are important. But let's just not forget that we love sports. This may sound funny from two guys who do a lot of coaching and are involved, but let's not think that sports are the only way to, for kids to learn lessons in life. Absolutely. They're not. That's not. And so that's what, that's the whole point of going back to earlier. Like, Just because we do it through sport doesn't mean that the kid that does it from band or mm-hmm. drama or chess is any better or less than we, you. That's we, the whole. Our point. son
0: is a senior and he's the band president. Thank you, and he can still learn the same lessons. He comes home from band practice, marching band and stuff like that, and he's frustrated and he's this and that. And we have these conversations of, "Hey, guess what? No, we're not stepping in. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do X." You have to work through it. What do you, what's the yeah. situation trying to teach but again, you? we as a
2: society build up the sports where it's like, that's the only way for our kids to do it. And mm-hmm. we're better because of the, your son that does it through the band. He's not quite as good as us. That's not right. That's my message is let's right. get over that and change that.
0: That's a great message. Kyle, what's your message to people today?
1: Just use sport for good. That's what up and doing is we use sport to gather and collect food, you know, at, at events and games and if if sports aren't bringing good to the world then let's stop doing them (laughs) that's a that's a check are you willing to stop sports because they're getting in the way of the best things Mm. and that's what you got to ask yourself if they're getting in the way of the best things maybe you should stop but if they're bringing good to the world to your neighbor to your society community then by all means play sports but let's keep them Yes, Kenny said, let's put sports in their proper place on the shelf.
0: I think we get so caught up with sports um, that, and all the lately, all the bad things that come from it. Right, we highlight those things so much that we don't highlight the opposing team's player that, when their team beats our team, they're still showing love to our team. Maybe they pick the kid up off the floor mm-hmm. and help them up you know because they're devastated they just lost and they help them up and say hey great game way to fight keep your chin up you know those types of things get overlooked right and we focus so much on the, the wrong things and so, so sports should be sports have the ability to change people's lives when focused on and I think that's what your guys are yeah, part absolutely. of your biggest messages is bringing hope and change people's lives through sports as long as we focus on The right things and that's why that's why I wanted you guys to come on and onto the give back because you guys are giving back to the community in this way yeah you you do and people can come pay you guys to work defensive love and stuff but it's what the other intangible things that you're doing for the community through up and doing collecting food to give to food banks to you know it's not you guys bringing the food it's your players it's the community and you're just providing an outlet for them to serve other people. Yeah, that
1: makes all the difference too. Like you said, they're the ones doing it. And if they're doing it, then they can change their, you know, we're not doing it for them. We provide them the opportunity and they they get to bring it and help out. And it's a game changer.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on today. Um, do you guys have your website up yet, up and doing?
1: Not yet. It's
0: coming though, right? Yet
1: coming, but you can follow us on Instagram, up and just the letter and up and doing. The letter N? Yeah, letter N. Up N, N letter yep. N,
0: doing yep. on Instagram. Instagram. Just on Instagram. Just on Instagram. Yep. So up N doing on Instagram. You guys can follow these guys and see all the cool stuff that they're doing. So Kyle, Kenny, thanks for coming in. Thanks and for we'll, guys, we'll have you back I on in the future once we're a little bit more established and see to get an update from you. Thanks, guys. And remember, small actions can create a ripple effect that change the world. This is the Give Back Podcast. So let's make a difference together.